Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Um, I don't know if many of you, how many of you were here last week to hear Kelvin? He did such an amazing job, right? Um, and of course, Rob puts me on right after him, which I should be the opening act, not the, the final act, right? Um, well, hey, it's really good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Efren Perdomo. I'm the RTI Student Development Director, but also function here on the preaching team uh, with our group of pastors. So it's good to be here with you this morning. Hey, why don't you consider with me for a moment, and uh, actually, I should probably say hi to the people on live stream. Good morning, live stream. <laughs> well, hey, uh, why don't you consider with me for a couple of minutes uh, and think about in history the many people groups who have thought to bring about a utopian society, not only in our policies, our infrastructures, but also in leaders in power and in our longing to be a part of a community that is loving, peaceful, and inclusive. One that represents the human ideal. And as you venture into history, you'll probably find that there's a group uh, not too far away from home that tried to do this on their own. This group was led by one of the more cryptic people in history, Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh. Uh, this is a group known as the Rajneesh, as you can see that photo above. You can tell that the terrain looks kind of similar. Many of you have, might have seen it. Uh, this is actually in Antelope, Oregon. It's near my neck of the woods in central Oregon. This community was dedicated to a joyful affirmation, individual spiritual enlightenment, and also a loving spirit. But yet, many of you might know of this group, the Rajneesh, because you've either lived through it or you've watched the documentary Wild Wild Country on Netflix. The story has many twists, turns, scandals, sub-narratives, uh, interactions with other policies and cities. Yet what struck me the most as I watched this documentary were the individuals it being interviewed during this you could see that they were deeply touched by what they had in this community, but also by what they lost and grieved what this community promised couldn't deliver. Spoiler alert, um, we see that the leaders were moved by power, wealth, and spiritual authority, and eventually um, this is, was their result. As you could see, the picture above would be a mugshot of the two leaders, both Bhagwan and also Sheila. And we get the, story, the result of this story in this picture in some way, but then we also see that there's a story left unresolved. You may be asking, what happened to this community? Where are the people now? And what you see in the interviews is that there's still a longing, a sort of emptiness within that community of what they thought was at least masked as a new way forward, a new way to be human. I would suggest that we all in this room have this longing. What does it actually mean to be human? 
To some extent, this question's about purpose, meaning, and direction. What is life if I don't know what it means to be human? And for us as believers, the question isn't where to find meaning, purpose, and direction. It seems very clear that we have that answer for us. But the, the question is, what exactly does Jesus and the scripture say is the new way forward, the new way to be human? As we're ending our series on the road, our last spot lands us in the Mount of Olives. Not only will we interact with two texts, both the Great Commission and also the Ascension, which both give us the core directive for what is this new community and what is our mission. Not only in that, but also our promise and presence of uh, the Spirit and His empowerment. The Mount of Olives is a single peak of two mile ridge that borders eastern Jerusalem. Uh, in this next picture, you'll see that there's a an overview of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And you'll notice that in the Great Commission, this text actually happens in Galilee, near Galilee, while the Ascension happens right above where that is in the Mount of Olives. So if you would, with, with me, why don't you imagine Jesus giving both of these messages in the Ascension, leaving many scholars to believe that this is something that Jesus didn't just say once, but repetitively said, and as you can see, two ways of that being recorded both in Matthew and in Luke. So in this, we'll see that as Jesus is physically about to leave their presence, he gives them a promise of an internal presence and a new community to guide them on their ultimate purpose to make disciples of all nations. So if you would, would you join me to Matthew 24? We'll start in verse 16 and then go through 20. And then again, we'll go in Luke 24 uh, verses 44 through 53. So Luke, Matthew 28. And it'll be on the screen for you as well. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So now, if you would, would you travel to Luke 24? We'll start in verse 44. Then he said, when I was with you before I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it, is, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. You are my witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy, the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. 
But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany, and lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They spent all their time in the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. And what we see in both commissionings is Jesus is giving a description, a command, but also a new way forward of being human. And he does, those, he does so in three specific ways, by understanding their identity, transformation, and mission. Jesus explains what is the Great Commission is about our identity, our transformation, and our mission. So let's begin. The identity of a new community. A spirit-led community redefining its identity and its members of its family. As you see in the Rajneesh story, um, one way they would highlight who they were was by what they wore. Um, They were often known as the orange people. And this this was for other people and others to look at them and know exactly where they're from. And for us, this is, uh, for us, what classifies our identity is this practice known as baptism. So two questions may arise. Why the emphasis on baptism? And what does it actually mean to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So we begin with our first. What is baptism? As one writer says, baptism is a microcosm of the entirety of Christian worship and the story of God in Christ reconciling the world to himself, the practice of identity. The act symbolizes, on one end, the purifying work that we've all received through the bloodshed of Jesus Christ. Yet on another end, it's a declaration of our allegiance to Christ among his community. I would suggest that also baptism hints that we are new creatures with new desires, a new passion for a different kingdom, and also king. It signifies for us a social reality. We are gathered in corporate worship in the context that marks us as a new people. In layman's terms, we are part of a new community part of a new family, not only are we marked in, in with each other, but also with God as a new identity. And this leads us to our next question. What does it actually mean to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? This, in the Greek, in the, Greek the preposition actually helps us understand a little bit better when it says ice in, always translated as in, in the name of, it actually packs a punch full of significance, suggesting for us that when one is baptized, he or she is viewed as passing into the secure possession or dedicated protection into the triune God, of the triune God. Thus, we are marked people invited into the divine possession of God himself our identity being connected with a divine creator and also savior, 
but also each other. Redefining what is our community, who is a part of our people group. How then does this look like? How does a Christian community look like? And in which way would you describe it? Um, as we'll look upon the screen, Paul Hebert, who's a known missiologist, describes our communities, can describe communities in one of two ways. One is bounded set and centered set. So bounded set, if you see up there, there's a circle around what are these little dots in the middle, and there's a center, which most would, could either be core values, you could be, it could be God, and then there are the followers, those who are in and those who are out. The gate protects and identifies the individuals who are in and those who are out. And then we look at the centered set. We see there's these all random dots everywhere, but yet Jesus at the center. And there's either a movement towards the center or away from the center. To illustrate this better, let's think of, when we think of bounded set, think of a horse corral. Do we have any farmers in here? This may look familiar. A horse corral gates the horses in. It identifies and protects those who are in and those who are out. Another example that might be helpful is this is the way the Pharisees thought of their community. There are those who are in and there are those who are out. Those who are in are circumcised, um, a part of the Israelite nation, obey the Torah. And those who are out, the outsiders, the Samaritan, the centurion. But I believe Jesus is calling us to identify as a community, as a centered set. So when you think of a centered set, think of an African grassland waterhole. In this picture, you see many animals coming together in different diverse groups. What you can also probably note is that there's some prey and predators seemingly coming together in what is the center, the waterhole. And what's interesting about this phenomenon is that a lot of those animals, although prey in some other instances and predator, um, actually live in peaceful tranquility when they're in the center. So it's all about movement, a community that either is moving away or towards Jesus, who is the center. This community is not about whether you've arrived, but about whether you're going forward towards Jesus or away from him. If you look at the Gospels, a good example of this could be the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion comes to Jesus in faith and says, hey, I need you to heal my servant. And Jesus says something quite significant. I have not seen faith demonstrated like this in Jerusalem. The Roman centurion, notably to think, we would to think that he is an outsider. And then we think about Judas Iscariot actually starting as Jesus' inner 12, but yet slowly throughout the narrative is slowly moving away from Jesus. Baptism is a declaration of the centered set. We are a community not protecting who's in or who's out, but we're a community of broken individuals not defined by our own work, but by the work of the Son, Jesus Christ.
that is our garment that identifies us. So as you think through the travel journal, or the questions to write and note in your travel journal, why don't you write this question? How have you allowed the teachings of Jesus to redefine your identity and family? How have you allowed the teachings of Jesus to redefine your identity and family? It's not only interpersonal about who you are, but who's included in this new community. Next, the transformation of a new community. A spirit-led community conforming to the image of Christ through discipleship. It's interesting that in the Jesus community, much like a school, we are trained and skilled to be just like our master. Jesus, in both Matthew and in Luke, highlight this emphasis on teaching and preaching in discipleship. And you may be filtering your minds through the way we think about teaching, purely being cognitive, teaching as information received. Yet, with the word teaching, what Jesus has more in mind, not one that denotes simply communication and knowledge of skill, but it primarily means instruction on how to live. A good word to think of is wisdom. And in that, we also address another dynamic. Teaching is not just about information, but also has a component of a relational dynamic between us and the one who is teaching us. Um, And as we internalize the commands and the teachings of Jesus, we're not only meant, it's not only meant to stay there, but actually move in obedience and living out God's will. It is in this practice of internalizing and listening the person and teachings of Jesus that we are schooled and exercised in the logic of faith. Scripture provides for us a story of ourselves and a part and then give us crucial details of the way we ought to live and also what we are supposed to do. Luke highlights that the teachings of Jesus not only stay within us, but they move into repentance and the receiving of forgiveness. And it may be that you've heard scripture or the teachings of Jesus defined as a how-to manual, how to be a Christian, which has always made me think of the way I approach manuals, which I don't. I don't know if many of you have had furniture from Ikea or... Um, TV installment. How many of you actually look at the manual? Oh, some of you do. Okay. I got no one in the last service. (laughs) We usually don't really focus all our attention on those how-to manuals. In one part, we're distracted. In the other, we don't really understand what's what's being read. And in the other, we're we're just not paying attention. I have to think about this. I, I got into woodworking not too long ago and thought that would just be a really beneficial hobby for me to have. And I remember that even as I was watching some YouTube videos and l- reading some books, my beginning projects would often look like this. I'm focused, attentive, zoned in, making sure that I would have the best results. Yet even with that, my projects would look more like this. 
that is so unusable. And I believe this is the way sometimes we approach scripture, and this is often our result. We see it as a how-to manual for getting the relational dynamic of God actually meeting us in the words that he says. And with that, we cannot simply approach the teachings of Jesus as simple how-to objectives, but we must encounter the living, breathing word of God, as if God himself is meeting us and physically showing us the way to be human. In the same way we seek to master the text, we allow the text to master us. Not only allowing God's story to captivate our mind, but also our imagination, our hearts, our desires. What, what scholar Richard Hayes says, the conversion of the imagination. And here's another uh, question to add to your travel journal. How have you allowed the teachings of Jesus to be the main formative voice of your story? How have you allowed the teachings of Jesus to be the main formative voice to direct your story? It's not just about intaking information to know, because it's one thing to know, it's another to do, and yet it's another to desire. Desire the kingdom and to be formed by it. And this leads us to our last theme, the mission of a new community. A spirit-led community empowered to make disciples to the nations and to the neighborhoods. And with all that, Jesus gives us one ultimate demand, one that cannot be separated from discipleship or our new identity. It is to go and to be witnesses. And one of the interesting things happening in both narratives is um, Many have noticed that Jesus' commissioning of his disciples actually sounds very similar to Moses commissioning Joshua. A lot of the same language. Yet they also note one specific different difference. Moses, speaking to Joshua, is sending him to a specific location, a particular place. While Jesus, when commissioning his disciples, is actually implying that they scatter that they go into all the nations. And in Luke, they're asked to stay there and wait for the Spirit, only to eventually be sent out. It shows us this global dimension of Jesus' redemptive work, not only staying in a particular place, but actually moving. Next, let us consider the word witness, which in the Greek is known as martus, similar to the word of martyr. Martus actually bears both of these elements, one of a, of a beholder of information, but also of a martyr. And in this, this idea of witness, it foreshadows not only the risk of being on mission to the nations, but also the cost. And so both passages speak on the cost of what is being on mission. But it doesn't stay there. It promises an empowerment of an eternal presence and an authority that Jesus grants to do similar works as he did, if not greater works. 
And so thus, we're sent from this practice arena, this church sanctuary, or your house churches, in a world to be witnesses, by being God's image bearers, in the world to exemplify what is Jesus' perfect work. We are being sent into the world to invite people to find their identity and vocation in Christ. Gerald Sitzer, in his book, Water from a Deep Well, often highlights what is our discouragement when we hear the stories of missionaries. We're discouraged because we say, that can't be me. Those are big leaps of faith that I cannot do. In their biographies, we see the entirety of their lives in a single moment. And maybe this is something that you felt even as you heard the Morris' story. Great big things happening. Yet this is what he says about missionaries. They made little decisions every day to do the will of God. As they knew it, they took little risks as well as a few big ones that set them on the course to leading to adventure, achievement, and influence. They chose to devote their time and talent and energy to God, refusing to put limits on what God would do with them. Therefore, it's not about just giant leaps of faith, but it's a dedication to hear the Spirit's prompting and to every day to hear the little risk that God is asking of us to be on mission for the sake of our neighbor. This leads us to our next question. How have you allowed the teachings of Jesus to move you towards compassion for the nations and neighborhoods? How have you allowed the teachings of Jesus to move you towards compassion for the nations and neighborhoods? And so then, the question that bears an answer is what is it to be human? First, it's rooted in our identity, a family, a new community marked by the allegiance to Christ. Second, we are to make disciples as we are being discipled, formed by the teachings and scriptures of Jesus. And lastly, we are to be witnesses to the world, to go on mission. And it may be, you be, might be asking, okay, then what is the next steps? What am I supposed to do? And in this text, it's quite clear what we're asked to do. We are to make disciples, to be a witness, both in proclamation and demonstration of our faith. Both, but yet, you may need a little bit more help than that. And to some extent, this is a discernible process for you to know what is the Spirit asking you uniquely. But even I as a member and as a person who's been here for not that long, I've seen this church do this well. You guys have been led by the Spirit in the big things and also in the small. And so I'm encouraged that this place represents what is to be human, what is the new way forward. Many of you have hosted dinners for strangers, comforted your coworkers, volunteered at nonprofits, showed hospitality to a stranger, and prayed for the sick, supported ministers and missionaries. 
And in the weeks to follow, you'll hear more about how you can do that as well. And I know you guys will take the charge. So it's a simple, well done, Salem Alliance Church. But I assume that it might be helpful to know of a story or something to, to help you inspire the creativity. And one of the things I think about uh, when we think about being a witness and on mission is a tradition my parents had, conchas con café, uh, which is Mexican bread, sweet bread, and coffee. We would often gather around the dinner table at like 10 o'clock, which is not a good idea if you're trying to go to sleep. <laughs> and we would eat conchas con café. Often we would do this during the holidays, and we would get families together. And one of the things that sparked in my parents was, you know, this would be a great time to invite other family members to be a part of this. And if you don't know, both of my parents are actually immigrants. My dad from Honduras and my mom from Oaxaca, Mexico. And one of the things that they wanted to do was invite other immigrants who came to a new country and to a new place with no family around. And slowly, as they got invited to our conchas y café um, gathering, they started to be more involved in other aspects of our holidays. They opened presents with us. They spent Thanksgiving dinner with us. And what was interesting is that my, my parents both knew what it felt like to be alone on the holidays, but also were moved by the compassion and teachings of Jesus to be, on wit be a witness and to be on mission. And it was interesting to see that often at the end of these gatherings, we would see the families in tears showing a simple gratitude for just the invitation. We usually don't want strangers in our homes, and that time is usually sacred. But what my parents discovered is, one, we're a different type of people, marked with a new identity, with new people in our family. And also, we are moved by the teachings of Jesus to be on mission and to be a witness. And many of those people became long-standing friends, and others became partners, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is not a, a church growth scheme. This is just simply what it looks like to be a loving presence, part of your community, and being on witness. And what's different between the Rajneesh and what we're doing here is that we have a God who is never changing, who's not moved by power or coercion, but by compassion to love those who are strangers. This is a new way to be human, a new way forward. So let me pray. God, we sit in the light of your command, but also your way of being, to be human and to preach the gospel, to be to internalize the teachings that you have given us and to move in compassion, to scatter and to be missional and to be a witness of your love and your teachings. And in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. 
Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.